Hi, good afternoon, and welcome to CIO Leadership Live. I'm Mary Fran Johnson, Executive Director of CIO Programs here at IDG, and I'm very pleased today to be joined here in our studio in beautiful downtown Framingham by Rob Galvin, who is the Chief Technology Officer of the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. Port Authority, for those of us who have never been to New York, well, actually, that wouldn't be me. We've all been to New York, I think. Port Authority is the agency that builds, operates, and maintains the airports, rails, bridges, and tunnels between New York and New Jersey, as well as the seaport facilities and the 16-acre World uh, Trade Center site. Since he joined Port Authority in December of 2013, Rob has created and seen through on the agency's IT strategy. He's developed and nailed down a cybersecurity program, and he is today managing a $110 million technology budget. Before his current role, he spent more than six years as the chief technology officer at the New York City School Construction Authority, which is an organization charged with the design, construction, and maintenance over 1,500 public schools supporting more than a million students in grades kindergarten through 12. Before he got into the public sector, Rob provided corporate IT leadership across a number of different industries, including manufacturing, healthcare, consumer products, consulting, software design, engineering, and commercial construction. He serves on the board of the New York chapter of the Society of Information Management, and he has a bachelor's in management information systems from Central Michigan University. And before I get chatting with him, I also wanted to remind our audience that you are most welcome to tweet in a question for Rob. And uh, since we are doing this live on Twitter, we welcome your contributions to the conversation. Rob, thanks for being here today. It's my pleasure. Thank you. All right. Let's start. Uh, I like to, since we're talking about air and train travel and all that, let's start up in the air, 30,000 feet above the industry. And let's talk about the way you see disruption, especially technology disruption, kind of rolling out across uh, these transportation and construction industries that you are involved with. Uh, I know when we talked about this earlier, you said this is well-trodden ground would be talking about the consumerization of IT. But one of the first things you mentioned was uh, you as an observer of humanity in the bus terminals. Mm. Talk a little bit about that and about industry disruption. Mm. Oh, okay. So that specific uh, example that you gave Mm -hmm. was a response to my boss, uh, Executive Director Rick Cotton, uh, asking for more consumer-facing projects from Mm -hmm. the IT organization in our strategic plan. So every year we do a refresh of a five-year view of the strategy for uh, technology. Mm -hmm. And I presented a roster of projects and uh, as well as some kind of prognostications about where the technology will be five years from now. Mm -hmm. For example, 5G is going to be ubiquitous outside all of our facilities, right? So, and he said, okay, so I want more projects and give me some ones for like each of the lines of business. And I didn't have one for TB&T, which is tunnels, bridges, and terminals. Okay. And so I went to the bus terminal, which handles something on the order of 50,000 passengers every year. I'm sorry, 50 million passengers Right, a year. I was going to say it's thousands um, a day, it's, isn't it? Yeah, 50? exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like 175,000 a day. A day. So uh, I wanted some inspiration. So I Mm -hmm. sat down at the bus terminal for a while and just observed people. And I never failed to learn something when I'm observing people using technology. So the first Mm -hmm. thing I learned is literally every single person getting off of a bus 
not only had a smartphone, but had it out and was using it at that moment. The second thing I learned was English was the third language I heard while I was sitting there for two hours. So it told me that whatever I'm going to do needs to really handle multi multilingual. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I got, when, and just from observing people coming up and seeing this confusion of signs directing them, because yes. we, we actually reuse gates at the bus terminal. Um, mm. So people sometimes it's for New Jersey Transit, sometimes it's for Greyhound, yes. sometimes it's incoming from Florida, sometimes it's outgoing to Tenafly, whatever. Yeah. So hmm. we need a digital gate signage system. So that's one of the projects, and it needs to be multilingual, and it'd be really helpful if we eliminated all of the clutter and just got people to focus. Because if you're busy working on your phone, yeah. you're not always paying attention, right? No, so, yeah. so that was the kind of inspiration. Um, but in terms of disruption and, and transformation, airline, and you talk about 30,000 foot level. Mm-hmm. So in the last 20 years, airline travel has doubled in volume. So we're now handling something on the order globally of 4 billion passengers a year. And that's projected to double in the next 20 years. In the Mm -hmm. meantime, we're investing something on the order of $30 billion in redeveloping JFK, rebuilding LaGuardia, Mm -hmm. and redeveloping Terminal 1 at Newark Airport, all while those airports are under operation and now seeing record volumes of transaction. Mm -hmm. So that's a transformation soup that's ready for us to like add the spices and figure out how are we going to serve this up so people have a satisfying and a and a manageable customer service experience while this is happening. Yeah. How how do you go about governing something like that? That's probably not these are not all decisions left up to you and your IT leadership team. Yeah. So what sort of governance structure or how do you go about doing that the people that are in charge of this how often do you meet <clears throat> well i meet as often as i can with the heads of each of the lines of business mm-hmm. aviation tbnt the path train system uh world trade center site uh, mm-hmm. i meet with them as often as i can ports mm-hmm. to talk about how are things going where are your points of pain how can we help you yeah. but apart from that i mentioned we do an annual refresh of a five-year strategic plan mm-hmm. every business has to do a strategic plan and we do it prior to the budgeting process for next year. So we just finished the strategic planning exercise mm-hmm. for 2020 and to 2024, and we're now entering the budget phase for 2020 ah. to 2024. Mm-hmm. So it's a great opportunity for everybody to kind of agree on what the priorities are and what are the projects that are going to support those priorities. Right. So I convene a, a council called the Alliance for Technology or the AT Committee, mm-hmm. uh, which is the senior leadership from all the line departments, and I review, this is my plan, mm-hmm. these are the projects that we think are important, and here's how we're going to handle the funding, right? Well, um, I talked to uh, all the CIOs I talked to, of course, have a couple of mega projects that are underway. Sometimes it's just one. Sometimes it's one or two. It sounds like you may have five or six of them in the mix right now. Yeah, I try to yeah. keep it to five or six. Um, <laughs> it's, it's funny. And not 10 every, or 12. So every line department <clears throat> is, is, is requested to come up with you know three to five major priorities for the year. Yeah. And then I'm asked to do three to five. But then I do, you know, I try to keep it to like, five. Okay. But all of the line departments, don't you know, their projects are going to have some technology component in order to make sure they're successful. Of course. Uh, And so those end up being part of my portfolio. So that's how it gets larger. And so we try to, to, you know, manage the resources as best we can. Yeah. It's, it sounds like more than scope creep, more like scope leap is what you might get to. One of the things I was asking you um, also about uh, some, 
recent successes, and we should mention the unlimited Wi-Fi to all of the airports, that mm-hmm. that is coming. Yeah. Is that uh, that started, that has arrived in some places and not in others? What's that situation? Right. So all of our strategic uh, priorities are focused around one of six major things, customer okay. service being one of them, mm-hmm. execution of the capital plan, uh, becoming an employer of choice. Uh, which is all about HR and and building the workforce. Mm-hmm. Um, so the customer experience piece, last year uh, we delivered fast, free Wi-Fi to everyone at JFK, LaGuardia, and Newark, and Stewart airports. Mm-hmm. Uh, we created responsive websites for each of those airports that mm-hmm. included some real-time information to help people make actionable decisions either when they're leaving the airport and when they're coming to the airport. So, for example, we gave people access to their security wait times. So if you're sitting in an office thinking, I've got to catch a flight, Mm -hmm. um, is can I leave now or can I stay another 10 or 15 minutes? You can go on, you know, jfkairport.com or Newark Airport or LaGuardia, and you can see what the security wait time is at each of the terminals. So Mm -hmm. that'll help you make a decision. Yeah. so that's about customer experience. Mm-hmm. So this year on the agenda for customer experience is uh, we're going to have a new corporate website. We're going to have a new website for the World Trade Center for mm-hmm. visitors, for commuters, and for the local community, uh, as well as doing a new uh, CRM, customer relationship management. Right. For We're using Salesforce to give a baseline of customer satisfaction for each of the lines of business and using that as a way to kind of coordinate the same types of intake, uh, assignment, response, and reporting for Mm -hmm. all of customer-related issues for each of the lines of business. We just retired three other systems that have been doing this work in the past. Um, And then we're going to expand Wi-Fi into the customs halls. So Mm -hmm. one of the issues that's happening that you're seeing in the news is, you know, Customs and Border Protection is under a great deal of stress on the southern border. And so what's happening is, you know, the staffing here at the airports is actually being some of it is being diverted to take care of what's Mm -hmm. happening down there. And so how do we make sure that we're delivering on a, you know, experience through CBP? So we've been partnering closely with them. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going to wire up all of the airports in the customs and border areas Mm -hmm. so that when you go through customs, you'll have Wi-Fi. You can download the, uh, the app, which is called the mobile passport app, so ah. you can clear customs more quickly, right? Wow. Um, and well, because you and I chatted about this. One of the mm-hmm. – um, I fly to Ireland a couple times a year visiting my grandchildren, and I've been so surprised when I get into almost any kind of customs line. And there are all these stern warnings about not using your mobile phone. So that's about to change or has already changed or we're changing it? At at our airports, we work closely with CBP to – and they have actually been great to work with. Um, When we first started Mm -hmm. talking about them, that was the standard line. Oh, no no access to Wi-Fi. And then it was, well, how about we just do it for U.S. citizens? And I'm like – how am I going to know <laughs> if you're a U.S. citizen? How are we going to know that? So yeah. it's like, okay, how about we restrict it to just the things that you want people to do while they're in line? And so that was kind of our compromise. Yeah. And they very quickly moved to, oh, can you also give us Wi-Fi access to all of our back-end systems? And can you give us, you know, cell service in our yeah. locations? Cause they're, and I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's take it one step at a time, yeah. right? Let's deal with the initial problem and mm-hmm. we'll parcel this out kind of in an agile way. Mm-hmm. And as we prove the concept out, we can keep moving forward. So we just rolled this out last week at Newark Terminal B. 
Oh, wow. So it's okay. very, very fresh, very uh, current. Uh, mm-hmm. And we're working on the plan before the end of the year. I think it's September 30th is our deadline, really, mm-hmm. for JFK, for the international terminals to have Wi-Fi access. Excellent. Excellent. Well, and that was that was just point number one on when we started <laughs> talking about industry, industry disruption. Um, another point you had made, uh, one of the things you see as a real disruptor is connected and autonomous vehicles. Yes. So... Tell us from your point of view, what's what's happening with that? Well, a lot, and, uh, to yeah. be honest. I mean, there's a tremendous... <laughs> Whatever you can sum up. Sure. There's yeah. a tremendous amount of venture capital out there, support, mm-hmm. you know, kind of sponsoring autonomous vehicles. We've heard a lot. I think the hype, you know, has gone one direction. And, you know, we had even a couple of years ago people saying, well, there's only going to be autonomous vehicles and we're going to get rid of parking ramps and, you know, it's going to be this nirvana. We might as well talk about flying cars while well, we're Well, it, it almost you know. got to that point, right? Yeah. So now it's, it's being reeled back. I mean, since the unfortunate accident Accidents that happened in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know the industry is taking a harder look at this. So, what does this mean for the Port Authority? Well, it ends up meaning a lot of different things, right? So, if there mm-hmm. are more vehicles on the road, that means more congested roadways, which is not good for anybody. Mm-hmm. But if there are fewer vehicles that are parking, then that is a revenue issue for us, right? So, oh, so course. that's we have to look at it from that standpoint. Yeah. So. I actually have uh, an innovation team, and we also have a transformative technology team, which you call the T3, that is formed mm-hmm. to deal with, to ide- identify different technologies, such as connected and autonomous vehicles, mm-hmm. and make an assessment of the maturity level of the technology, and then look at how does that map to the projects that we're pursuing? Is mm-hmm. there an opportunity to leverage some of these new technologies? And then finally, and probably most importantly, What's the readiness for change within each of the organizations to adopt the new technology? That's a great point. Yeah. So, great, yeah. so autonomous vehicles for us, the, re- mm-hmm. the, the problem space that we're trying to look at is can we use the connected and autonomous technology that's going into passenger vehicles, mm-hmm. scale them up to a fully autonomous bus? Right. So the Lincoln Tunnel has the express mm-hmm. bus lane, which is the world's most productive lane of traffic. We get something like 60,000 really? people every rush hour coming into Manhattan in the mornings. Wow. Uh, and then we get a, mm-hmm. a separate kind of uh, outflow in the afternoons. So right now it turns out that the headways, which is the distance between each of the buses, is around five and a half to six seconds under the best case scenario, mm-hmm. which is around the limits of what you want a, phys- a human driver dealing with. Mm -hmm. Well, our projections in the next 10, 15 years is that we have to shrink those headways down to like four seconds or less, which is approaching the limits of what people can do. But if the autonomous technology works, we can actually shrink that even further. Yeah. Explain to me what you mean by the headways. So that's the distance between each bus. So one bus goes by, count to five and a half. The next bus goes by with a human driver. We think with Uh, autonomous technology, we should be able to shrink that to four seconds or less, which would give us an extra 20% of capacity without constructing a new tunnel or without doing anything differently. So it's almost the way monorails uh, or trains act, or trains yeah. act very they call it platooning in the autonomous vehicle world platooning. where a lead vehicle mm-hmm. sets the pace and every other vehicle matches behind it I see and there are a number of different ways that different companies uh, make this happen wow so we've mm-hmm. actually uh, worked with a consortium of companies and we actually played matchmaker with them because they're focused in the consumer market yeah and we're saying no we want to big, you know, 10 foot wide bus with that handles 75 to 80 people. Mm -hmm. Um, So 
we've got two different competing firms. They actually just submitted RFPs and uh, we're going through them. So the plan is to demonstrate the technology first at like a parking lot, mm -hmm. like out at the airports, mm -hmm. and go through a series of paces that we've defined. And if it works well, we're actually going to shut down the express bus lane and run a live demonstration through like in the middle of the night to prove out the technology. And I've said I want to be on one of those buses. Oh, um, So great. I'm very excited about it. It's, it's a yeah. great team of people that are working on this. It's a, it's a combination of folks from TB&T, mm -hmm. engineering, um, I'm going to forget some folks, but uh, the community relations people, they're all all uh, pulling together because yeah. there's going to be a – You said if research works, organizations were also involved. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've got – it's a consortium of uh, universities mm -hmm. and private yeah. industry that are working on this. Okay. And I was – I remember when we talked about this earlier and I said, well, someone from the, an auto company must be involved, but – they're still very hands-off on this. At yeah, this point. for whatever reason, this is not mm -hmm. a space they choose to play in. I think they've yeah. got their hands full with what they're dealing well, with. Well, they may feel that they're more private transportation, and you're talking about public transportation. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. You know, maybe that twain isn't ready to meet, huh? Uh, yeah. The um, Let me see. The um, You mentioned just a few minutes ago about you have a transformative technology, kind of an advanced team, and you also have an innovation team. Yeah. Are they one and the same? Do they work together? How Two does different that... groups. So okay. the, the T3 is actually across all of the businesses. Oh, smart. And the innovation mm -hmm. team is in my department. More like IT innovation and the yeah, other ones Yeah, we're tech. focusing more kind of on specific small pilots yes. to prove out the concept. And we usually select projects based on the business that we're trying to deal with. And we set a strict dollar amount uh, mm -hmm. and some specific goals or measurements that we want to achieve by the end of this pilot phase Excellent. before we decide to scale it up to the next the next thing. Excellent. Well, the, the final point when we talked earlier about disruption and the kind that you're dealing with is that you felt like you had to mention infrastructure and how there has been so much disinvestment, lack of investment over the last few years, and that that has finally Catch, that's catching up with everybody, but particularly yeah. with Port Authority um, or more so than others? I don't know I if mean, it's I more know. so or less so, or but I think it's, it's endemic, right? Mm -hmm. I think people go and if you travel and if you travel globally, mm -hmm. you have different experiences in different parts of the world. Yes. Um, they have the advantage of in some parts of the world, uh, Xingyi, um, mm -hmm. Incheon, uh, different airports, they have the advantage of having built brand new infrastructure. So they get to put mm -hmm. all the latest technology, mm -hmm. you know, robotic attendants that are circulating around the spaces, you know, answering questions. Um, and so it's a it's a wow factor, right? Yeah. So, but we have, you know, for better or for worse, you know, one of the first public airports in the country uh, at LaGuardia. Uh, it's been rebuilt once. We're rebuilding it a second time. Yeah. Um, and we have to make things work within the confines of what's happening kind of right now. Mm -hmm. So, um, yes, there has been a historic kind of dis disinvestment, and I wasn't singling out anybody in general. Right. I think it's 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 our entire country. We need to spend a lot on infrastructure. I think the a ASIE, American Society of Engineers, gives our infrastructure mm -hmm. a D plus overall yeah. grade. So yeah. we really need to invest. And I think uh, IT can play a role working with engineers on mm -hmm. this kind of operational space, right? Yes. So we both have things to learn from each other. IT yeah. folks are great at, um, you know, 
kind of adopting this agile approach and stepwise delivery of mm-hmm. different improvements and you know our concept of let's let's get something out there let's try it out let's make adjustments let's keep changing it let's mm-hmm. update it engineers if you look at how they approach problems they want to deliver it once and never touch it again and, and they don't and they don't want to hear about it afterward well i don't know about that but it's like i'm yeah. going to deliver this and then don't touch it it's yeah. going to be fine. Yeah. Well, that's great in the physical world, but as we get into the cyber world, that's yeah. not how things work because people discover flaws and weaknesses, and we need a way to patch those operational technologies or industrial control yeah. systems. Nobody wants to be in an elevator when it's being rebooted. No. Right? No. So, yeah. so I think we both, engineers and IT folks, have a lot to learn from each other, and I've been trying to partner that you know, relationship within the Port Authority yeah. uh, with some success. Well, and I may have uh, just been wrongly assuming this all, all, all these years. You know, we talk about people in IT being software engineers, and then you talk about mechanical and electrical engineers. You almost start assuming that there's so much in common. Hmm. You know, everybody's an engineer here, but, you know, each engineering discipline. And I noticed this in college that, you know, the mechanical engineers had no time for the electrical engineers or Mm. whatever. The different – everybody gets into their little silos. Mm. Um, But right now I think overall in the IT industry there's – more openness and more happening with that convergence area between the operational engineering technologies and IT. Um, It sounds like you already have that underway in what you're doing. Um, How far along the road are you and how do you make that work? Yeah, we're not far enough is the short answer. Um, So the engineering as a discipline has a 400-year head start on IT. If you think about it, it mm-hmm. was founded in Scotland, I yeah. think it's University of Glasgow or, you know, one mm-hmm. of those universities up there, Edinburgh, yeah. came up with the whole concept of engineering as a discipline. Mm-hmm. So they have a long history of kind of rigor. And as an industry, I mean, you could generously say we've been around 50 years, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, you still run into that conversation about CIOs seat at the table. Right. And who's in it? Who's really a software engineer? I mean, I program in, you know, C sharp and you program (laughs) in assembler and somebody else. And who's you're writing programs in R. So, yeah. At the end of the Mm -hmm. day, our users don't care about what language it was coded in, what database it runs on. So long as it is quick, does what you need it to do and they can get on with what they need to have done. Mm -hmm. So. Um, back to the, that's my little soapbox about the engineering and IT. And I, I think we have a lot to learn from engineers. I have yeah. tremendous respect for them. Yeah. Um, some of my best friends are engineers. Um, so <laughs> They'd almost do we... have to be, given your job, right? <laughs> yes, right. I have yeah. traffic engineers. I have you yeah. know, railroad yeah. engineers. I have electricians. I have mm-hmm. mechanical. Mm-hmm. So, so when we get into the operational technology space, mm-hmm. it's really a dialogue. Right. So we're going to bring something to the table that says, look, there are vulnerabilities. Right. So the first thing we've done is an an inventory of our industrial control systems Mm -hmm. down to the component level in some cases. Now, it's not complete, but it's enough that when I subscribe to different alerts that come out in the cybersecurity world, Mm -hmm. oh, the Siemens PLC, you know, such and such unit has a vulnerability. I can send out an email Mm -hmm. to my engineering folks and say, did you know that your system, if it has a Siemens model 1234 PLC, you need to talk to your vendor about how they're going to remediate this vulnerability? Okay. So at least there's a there's an awareness, right? Whereas mm-hmm. in the past, it's just kind of, oh, it's in the background. 
Um, so that's like the beginning, right? So yeah. there's there's inventory, there's assessment, mm -hmm. there's um, you know kind of you know on to management, patch management, and overall kind of risk yeah. management from a cyber perspective. So we're getting there, but we're not there yet. Well, and I was thinking too that um, IT as a profession is you know it was a bit gradual at the beginning, but almost everybody we talk to these days seems to be on board with the idea of agile iterative development you know like the that it's okay to get it out there 80 percent complete and then we'll tinker with it a little bit it took id a while to get to that because there was a lot of that yeah. engineering we finished it these were the specs we wrote it to the specs we're done and that was a bit of a cultural change for it just in general it it doesn't sound like on the operational side we can be there yet because there's actually much more physical consequences exactly as you say you know you yeah. don't want to be on the elevator when it's being rebooted yeah or reprogrammed and whenever yeah. whenever there's a new innovation or a new change i always like yeah. to ask the question okay this looks exciting we always talk about the cool factor and the yeah. wow yeah, yeah but we don't often enough ask the question what am i giving up right mm -hmm. so when you got your first cell phone it was like great i can call anybody i want to at any time of the day or night and now you can be reached any time of the day or you night. You didn't think about your privacy, did <laughs> right. you? you know? Right. So <laughs> yeah. um, when we do agile, right? So what mm -hmm. are we giving up by that kind of rigorous, more waterfall approach? And right. is are we checking all the boxes, mm -hmm. right? So I'm I'm all in on agile for kind of like let's try out new things, let's fail fast, let's yep. try things out. Um, but when it comes to what are we doing with security? Yes. Then that's the part where I'm like, we need to go back and make sure we're hitting all of the marks. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I'm most disturbed about is the trend, you know, we've we've gotten ourselves into as an industry where we're rolling out free products. Oh, it's free. And we're rolling mm -hmm. it out quickly. So we want to build market share and then we're going to go public and we're going to flip it and then we're going to all be millionaires. Well, the, the <laughs> last thing that gets considered in that model is security. Right. And so if I'm if my model is based on selling access to your information, mm -hmm. um, did I build any security into that? Right. Is there any right. visibility as a right. consumer into what's being done? Um, those are good questions to ask. And my guess is if it's a new product and it's just being rolled out, they probably haven't thought about all the security issues. Well, we had one of our CIO perspectives event uh, events in Atlanta last week, and we had a CIO CSO panel discussion. And uh, we had the uh, the chief security officer from First Data was one of the people on the panel, and he made a point at one in one moment that really stuck in my head that each time an IoT an Internet of Things sensor is basically connected to the internet. He says it is breached and hacked or it's it, within two minutes. Mm. Within two minutes, it gets found, essentially, and then, you know, let the hacking begin. And I'm probably paraphrasing that entirely wrong, but it was the two-minute mark that yeah. really shocked me because people are not thinking about that sort of thing. But actually, that uh, we were talking about that a little bit before we went on air here. That's a real issue right now for technology leaders is – getting the business leaders kind of on board about understanding more about technology. It's not that they don't take it seriously or want to use it in everything, but they don't really make much of an effort to educate themselves on it. Yeah. What's your feeling on all that? Well, so I think this feeds right into the, the consumerization of IT, right? Mm. I buy this gadget. Isn't it great? It does great things for me. Yeah. I, now I understand IT. 
Right. And I think we've done ourselves. I could ourselves, be the CIO, right? <laughs> right. I mean, I think we've done ourselves a disservice as an industry, right? When yeah. Steve Jobs held up his box at, you know, Apple, uh, Apple World and said, it's a magical device. Yeah. That really fed into the narrative that this technology is not un- understandable, that it is just magic and it's always going to work. And yeah. that isn't the case, right? Yeah. Um, my wife, mm-hmm. I'm going to credit her with a brilliant observation that she made about TCPIP when she used to teach internet classes, yeah. which is to her, it is a miracle on the scale of notation, musical notation mm-hmm. in that it gave a language for computers to talk to each other that hitherto did not exist, a common language, right? right. So it's right. a great thing. And really, all of these magical devices are really just standards-based. They're, mm-hmm. you know, they came together as a result of hardware engineers, software engineers really working hard towards the standards. And that's what the magic, that's what makes it work. So it is possible for us to educate all of our leaders and take the opportunity when something comes up, like a cybersecurity incident, Mm -hmm. God forbid, uh, at some point to explain in English what happened and what made it vulnerable and how do we deal with it next time. Yeah. And I think we've placed too much emphasis on the gee, wow, mm-hmm. and then not, not enough on the practical, yeah, but this is how it works and here's what it means. Mm-hmm. And the other problem that we've done is we've created a world where in, in the other end of the scale, it has become inscrutable. So the mm-hmm. home Wi-Fi set, right? If you listen to, mm-hmm. uh, I listen to CyberWire and some other podcasts to keep mm-hmm. current with different uh, cyber technology issues, um, you know, listen to those and you'll 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 quickly grow very concerned about things. And <laughs> Your it's like, paranoia will go up at least three notches. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you should be patching, you know, if you have this model of, you know, Wi-Fi device in your house. And I'm thinking to mm-hmm. myself, I know how to do that. But I'm gonna have mm-hmm. I'm gonna download a BIOS flash and I'm gonna update the BIOS on my Wi-Fi router at home. How yeah. many people who are not in IT know how to do that? And then if you're in IT, do you have the time to do it? Right? I'd say the, the answer to question number one would be zero. Yeah. It's like the people that have never set the clock on their VCRs, if they even or their DVRs yeah. these days. Right. But um, I don't. You know, my husband makes fun of me because I still listen to audio CDs. I still put those in my car. He's like, everybody in the world is doing MP3, but not you. You're still buying audio CDs. MP3? What about streaming services? Well, yes. (laughs) And I have all those, too. I have all those, too. But it's just the the overwhelm factor, I think, is the the biggest thing maybe in all of our lives. There's some aspect of technology. You know, it started back with people that couldn't figure out how to make the the 1200 stop flashing on their VCR clock. You know, we have that problem now writ much larger. Absolutely. So that was an annoyance thing. Oh, it's blinking in the middle of that. I can solve Mm -hmm. that with a three-inch piece of black electrical tape. (laughs) Right? So when it comes to to critical issues like what's happening with your data and you're automatically paying your bills and communicating with your bank over Mm -hmm. a Wi-Fi network that's in your house, you want to make sure that's secure. And so I think we we, we need to adopt the same model that the scientific community is now adopting in terms of thinking about how do we communicate with the public. Mm -hmm. We have to get rid of all the jargon, and we have to explain it in terms that people understand, right? So yeah. the scientific community is facing a huge issue when they talk when they talk about, you know, climate change, when they talk about yes. vaccination, the realities mm-hmm. of people dealing with sci- other kinds of scientific, you know, issues that they need to deal with, yeah. and the fact that they're getting information that may or may not be vetted through various different mm-hmm. media and social media, so. In IT, we have the same issue in terms of we need to communicate with people in a way that 
is at their level. And I think there's yeah. an opportunity for a podcast to talk about that. Okay. Right? I'm, I'm making a note right okay. this minute. Yes, right. we should. We should get a couple of people on to talk about that. One of the big problems I see almost immediately with it is that IT – uh, it does such a wretched job of marketing itself. Mm. Marketing the value of IT is something I've had many conversations on stage and off stage with CIOs about this. And the marketing industry just in general, I mean, you mentioned Steve Jobs and his magical device. Steve was the world's ultimate marketer. He actually wasn't much of a tech guy. And it's you're up against a, a big mountain of marketing expertise that comes from all of the different companies selling magic to people. Mm. And then you've got another very, you know, a very hardy group of people that would like to explain what everybody should really know about it. And that's a big that's a messaging and, a you know, like, how do you get that message out? Mm. Um, some of it, I think the conversation is happening much more now around all of the controversy against Facebook and Google and and Apple and, you know, the congressional hearings and, you know, all the questions that are starting to come up about privacy and, and how our data is used. And I think that almost against their will, that will help people get a little more educated about it and maybe start asking some of those questions about yeah. what I was in my doing. five-year forecast mm -hmm. for the technology plan. I talked about um, how I think that there's an opportunity that, you know, we may see increasing consumer awareness of privacy issues and click-through fatigue, right, on yes. these like, these crazy, you know, lengthy 700-page, you know, agreements that you have to click just, on in order to use. It takes you 10 pages to click. I agree. Right, I and think, you haven't read it. And I think yeah. people are now coming to the realization that, well, wait a minute, maybe this isn't really free and what is this really worth to me? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's so the part of the dialogue about that the scientific community is having about how to educate the public. Yes. They're also having a dialogue of how to educate policymakers and lawmakers. And I think IT needs to be in that conversation. I think we also need to do that so that people are educated about how this stuff works and where is the data and how is it protected mm -hmm. so that they they can, you know, ask good questions and make good policy because we need good policy, yeah. right? This the the magic, so so to speak, of it mm -hmm. is really about standards. And if we have good standards, we can ensure interoperability. So 5G is coming. We know it's coming. Mm -hmm. The standard hasn't been published yet. Yeah. So whose 5G is coming? Right? Is it going to be interoperable? That's so right. We need to make yeah. sure that, that that really happens and really communicate those issues in a way that our policymakers and the public can can be part of that dialogue. Well, and, and I think the public is aware to the extent, like this, the ongoing standards war we have now between iOS and Android. Mm. I have, you know, like I have a, a Mac computer, but I have an Android phone. And uh, my husband is as a computer standards expert, and he's very firmly on the side of Android and open systems. And so that we haven't even resolved that yet. <laughs> and, you know, not just personally in my house, but I think just generally in the industry. And because of the profit motive and the way our private enterprises work, everybody's always trying to leapfrog and come out with the next greatest thing. And I love the work that can consortiums and standard bodies valiantly try to do, but they often seem to get overrun by mm. market forces, mm. um, which we're back to. But I like, I really like the idea of IT leaders taking up the, you know, taking up the cudgel of uh, trying to educate, get, you know, even just if everybody started educating the people around them a little more, mm. 
Um, well, you you had mentioned a book that you had really enjoyed. Jaron Lanier's The oh, Virtual yes. Reality Pioneer wrote a book. Uh, it's 10 Arguments. 10 Arguments for Deleting Your Social, social Media Accounts Now. Right Now, yeah, yeah is yeah, in yeah. the title. And um, have uh, have you done that? Well, actually, I was reading – while I was reading that, I was actually changing phones. And so yeah. when I got my new phone, I did not install – all of the social media accounts that I had on my old phone. Imagine that. So the first thing yeah. that happened mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, I was kind of like a little antsy. Uh, and <laughs> a little withdrawal. Figuring out, oh, okay, yeah. what am I going to do with those mm-hmm. 25 seconds I'm in the elevator, right? Yes. Or I was going to check the Twitter feed. Um, but I, you know, I'm more focused on my other news, my sources of news, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm more present. So my wife has noticed that right away. She said, "Really? Yeah." She goes, "Have okay. you installed Twitter on your phone yet?" I go, "No, I haven't." She goes, "I can tell." <sighs> I'm like, "Really?" Excellent. She goes, "Yeah, Excellent. you're you're with me now." And I'm like, "Okay." Yeah. She goes, "So keep it up. That's good." <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and I, I still I admire you know families that ban devices from the dinner table and that yeah. sort of thing. I mean, I do think that there's a whole there's been a formation of a habit. Uh, there's a lot of my um, my daughter, um, my my oldest child is a psychiatrist, and mm. she's very interested in everything going on in the brain. And so I'm often reading articles about what is happening to the brains of children, you know, and mm. I've got, she's got a two and a half year old now who really likes watching Peppa Pig and things on the devices, but there's a lot of research starting to come out now about how the brain is rewiring yeah. to deal with all these new devices. Well, so. and there's there's two other things that, I mean, mm-hmm. the book is a great read. I think people should read it and yeah. come to their own conclusions, right? So my issue was really about the information and the mm-hmm. data and how it's managed and, and the business model that's behind it. And yeah. Jaron makes a very compelling case in that space. Okay. Um, but I'm, I know it's not for everybody. It's not. Oh, yeah. And I, yeah. I'm on LinkedIn and I, I still use that. Well, thank goodness. I yeah. love LinkedIn. Right. Um, <laughs> it's but my one social media. there's a time for everything. Yeah. So what you need mm-hmm. to do Instead of letting the the technology control you and let it eat up every moment of your day when you're like, oh, I'm in an elevator now. I need to be. I need you know, to be distracted. I need to do something, right? Yeah. You need that quiet in order mm-hmm. to reflect and think about you know the strategic issues you're dealing yeah. with as a CIO, mm-hmm. to the knottier problems that you're dealing with, whatever they may be. You need yeah. quiet time. And and as as much That's as these devices point. have brought great things into our lives, they've also brought distraction. And the distraction is something we need to be vigilant against. Yeah. Well, in the um, the habit forming nature of them is something that people, I think a lot of people have woken up to. And once you've formed a habit, even if it's a relatively new habit, you do have to work at it a little bit to break it. So I think, but I, and we were also talking about this, that a, a, a fairly great majority of people that are in the technology field need that quiet reflection time because they're introverts. Yeah. That's where your source of energy comes from Yeah. rather than my people, the extroverts. And, you know, our source of energy is conversations like this, talking to other people. Um, I want to be sure to touch on, uh, tell me about the size and scope of your IT operation. Mm. Uh, you seem to be doing, uh, have a fantastic amount of work that's going on, but full time you have about 90 people on staff. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So how do you get all this done? How do you have IT structured? Mm. And what are your talent challenges? If they are like most CTOs yeah. and CIOs I talk to, they're probably significant. So a big mm-hmm. issue for you know the Port Authority as a government agency, yeah. um, we're not 
able to compete with the startups. And there's a lot happening in New York right now in Brooklyn with mm-hmm. startups and, you know, great new businesses coming online. And they're, yep. they're a great Alley. asset. Yeah, yeah, they're a great mm-hmm. asset to, yep. to, the, to the city. Uh, and so it's tough for us to compete in that space. So what we're trying to figure out is the best model between what should we be, you know, contracting for mm-hmm. and what should we retain on staff permanently, right? right? And so when I first started five years ago, 40% of my staff was eligible to retire right away. So we have a, we had an immediate challenge. That's and it's, a lot of gold watches. It's a lot of people. It's a lot <laughs> yeah. of great, you know, talent that's going out the door. Mm-hmm. And so how do we replace that? And more importantly, what is the talent that we need in the next five to 10 years, yeah, right? So that's the importance of having a five-year strategic plan because mm-hmm. it gives us the roadmap of, well, these are the technologies. This mm-hmm. is the landscape of the world. This is what's going to affect the Port Authority, and these are the projects. So that almost drives you to, okay, and I'm going to need people with these skills. Yeah. So we're actually uh, redefining a lot of positions as they come, up, come mm-hmm. available, and we're building a technical career path that's entirely separate from the management career path. And so that's good news for the people who Mm -hmm. are introverts. Like I've been reading uh, Susan Cain's book, Quiet, Quiet. and it's great Mm -hmm. uh, because I'm I'm an introvert. I work hard at getting out in front of people Mm -hmm. and I know it's important and I do it. Yes. Um, but my initial inclination is to, you know, kind of reflect and think about things and yes. then come forward with a plan. And a lot of people who got into IT didn't get into it because they wanted a ticker tape parade. Every time they finished something, they wanted to work with the device and make it do something that it didn't do before and say, wow, yeah. isn't this really neat? Yeah. So you have to tailor the job and the rewards to what people want. So we yeah. recently we had an all department meeting and we used Slido to kind of interactively ask people questions mm-hmm. and, and take questions anonymously and take polls. And one of the questions that we asked was, how do you want to be rewarded? And mm-hmm. we had, we have programs for, you know, kind of bonuses for big projects that are customer facing mm-hmm. that make a huge impact. And we have other kind of awards for uh, pillars of the Port Authority, they're called people who've been with the agency for a long time and have made a huge contribution over a lifetime of work. Yeah. Um, but it's like, okay, so what if you're working on a project and maybe it isn't customer facing, how would you like to be rewarded? Right. And a surprising number of people said they want something tangible, but they don't necessarily want a public, like come up in front of the whole department and tell everybody how you did it. Don't embarrass Which, me. <laughs> right, exactly. So yeah. you have to meet people with where you are. And so mm-hmm. the way we deal with we try to deal with people on an individual basis, but we're going to need a lot more project managers. We're going to need a lot more business analysts. Mm-hmm. We're going to need mobile people. We're going to need people with social media skills. We're going to need people with data analytics skills. Yes. We're going to need people with cybersecurity skills. So mm-hmm. I just rattled off a half dozen yes. things some of which we're going to be able to bring in-house on a permanent basis, some of which I think we're going to have to contract for in the short yeah. term and you know build up those skills internally. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're creating great career paths for people and giving them the option if you want to manage teams, great, you can manage teams. Yeah. If you want to become a technical expert and really dig into a technology, we're going to make that available to people as well. Mm-hmm. Well, my uh, my son works at Google, so I know uh, a little bit about from, you know, inside the, um, the, the, the mega star that is Google in the tech, uh, tech landscape. And they have a, uh, a very... Um, 
a very gradated series of steps for toward technical stardom, toward becoming like I think they call them a some kind of engineer. It has an engineering title, and they are. And there's um, he's a a software he's a software engineer, and there are nine levels that they can move up, and they they make a very they seem to make a very concerted effort to move people around on teams. Mm. It's very it's uncommon to stay. It seems longer than a year or two working with one group of people and then you're working with someone else. Mm. And I think that that is always so valuable for IT, especially when they get in situations where they end up working with marketing people and other business executives that they might not have exposure to. Because yeah. I don't think it's just IT that ends up in that silo mentality. I mean, you yeah. see it with your engineers, you know, your, your people that have to run the elevator systems versus the people running your software. They, they have a whole lot of common ground that they'll never know about unless they work on something together. Yeah. So. I need to say something else about the talent pool, right? Yes. So another really important factor for us is diversity and inclusion. So our staff Good. right now mm -hmm. is 28% female, 40% minority. Mm -hmm. And we're our goals are more aggressive than that. Um, and that's that's a real challenge. And it's, a, it's very disheartening to me. I started mm -hmm. uh, my career in the 80s when I went to school. My classes were roughly 50% men and women, both because mm -hmm. it was a new field, right? right. Who's programming, yep. you know, databases, business analysis, all these systems analysis. There wasn't any kind of like predetermined, you know, uh, gender identification with any of those mm -hmm. roles. And it's disheartening to me that um, that the industry has turned so male. And so uh, we need to get more women and we need yeah. to get more minorities involved because we need their contributions. We need their experiences. We need them to help us build what I say, build the future, right? Because mm -hmm. that's IT is a lot of things are going to be run by IT and we need everybody's perspective there. So uh, we've got some aggressive targets mm -hmm. that we want to meet. Uh, we've been doing a lot of outreach, but um, I'm just Putting it out there, if you're right. a talented woman or a talented mm -hmm. person of color, uh, reach out to me and you know send me a resume because we're always looking. Mm -hmm. We always have about ten or twelve openings. It seems like yes, and I know they can find you on LinkedIn because I'm pretty sure that I found you on LinkedIn as well. Yeah. Um, well, I've just I've heard the phrase and I always I like it because I have four granddaughters who are all girls and that the future is female, mm. but I actually think the future is diverse. And I, I throw the future is diversity. It doesn't quite have the ring of future is female, but I think that that has a, a whole lot to do with directions that we're heading in and just the the kind of open minds that you need involved in any conversation. If you look yeah. around the table, one of the, at our Atlanta event, one of my speakers later in the day was a female CIO, and we were listening to CIOs and CSOs on stage talking about cybersecurity issues. And she just leaned over and she said, you realize you have just a white male panel up there. Mm. And I did realize it. And I, I know, and, and then we had a conversation about how hard it is to find panelists during vacation time in Atlanta in the beginning of July. Mm. You know, I had all my excuses, but it was a really good point. And it's something that the minute you're aware of it, you make more of an effort to make sure that that isn't the case. And yeah. I think that, uh, so I think it's great when I hear CIOs talking about diversity and making it one of their important issues.
Yeah. I, so. Every time. So we have a bring our children to work day, which yeah. is a, a great event. Uh, I know it started back in the 70s. It was take our daughters to work day way back, yes. way back in the mm-hmm. beginning. Uh, but I always make an effort to get people, young people engaged in technology because yeah. we don't have enough people. You know, we don't have enough people right now working in tech. What's it going to be like in 10, 15, 20 years? Right. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always start off with, what do you guys hear about tech? And they're like, oh, you know, the Terminator and oh, this. <laughs> and it's like, wow, the ne- the negative messages are out there, right? Yeah. So I'm like, do you did you know that, you know, your, your parents are working in areas where they're doing things as diverse as, you know, collecting tolls. Mm-hmm. Um, they're processing, you know, all kinds of different things. They're running, working with all kinds of things that are IT, right? I get them yeah. really excited about it. And then we actually do something that's hands-on. That's and they come so away. Cool. I've I, And this is my proudest moment is when I hear a parent come back to me and say, you know, my, my son or daughter had such a great time in your department that, that day. And, you know, they said they want to, they want to work in it. That to me is like, yes. Great. Um, great. Cause that's what we need. We yes. need more, more people in, involved. And it's a great career in no other way. Can you see the inner workings of an organization like you can working in it? You can literally see not mm-hmm. just in finance, you get to work with all parts of the organization, but you only track the money, which is important. Yeah. But in technology, you see information, you see systems, you see process, yeah. you see everything. So it's it's have, really an exciting place to be. I th- we, we have always talked over the years about um, CIOs and IT leaders having a helicopter view across the entire organization. I actually think it's even more than that. I think that IT builds the helicopter and then flies it around. I mean, because we build all the systems. Systems that are in those, and I can remember uh, years ago, my uh, my son, I, he was I was at Computer World at the time, and you know he would see the magazine, and he was very big into video games, and he was going to be a video game developer when he grew up. And I said, well, you'll end up in IT, you'll be a technology person. He was very, oh no, I, I would never, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to be reading something at Computer. And here he is now today at Google, and occasionally he runs into somebody who remembers my byline from Computer World. Those have been some of the big thrills of my life. He'll say, uh, you know, somebody said they recognized your name. And you know, it's like, <laughs> I'm like so thrilled um, because, of course, your mother is always right. I knew he was going right. to end up in technology, and indeed he did. And I agree with you. I think it's a tremendous career. I mean, even for people like me that are completely non-technical, my career has basically been talking to technology leaders uh, to communicate more about what they're doing and the kind of leadership that they're bringing to their operations. And it's been been such a pleasure and an honor oh, to have you here today. Are we done already? I know wow. we are done already, and I feel like we could go for another hour, but but I have people controlling me so that I, I won't do that. So I I will wrap up and I will I will bid our audience uh, goodbye. If you have joined us late, uh, you can watch the full episode either right now. We're right at the top of our a Twitter feed, which is at CIO Online. Or you can see it tomorrow by uh, tomorrow morning. We'll have this posted both to CIO.com or on YouTube. And you can listen to audio podcasts of our conversation wherever you get your podcasts. We're basically used to list them all, but we're in all of them now. And I would love it if you would join us for my next episode, which will be Thursday, August 15th. And that'll be at 10 o'clock in the morning. And I'll be joined by Scott Blandford, who is the chief digital officer at TIAA. And uh, while you're at it, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is called IDG Tech Talk.
where you can find all the previous episodes of Leadership Live. It's been a pleasure having you join us today, and I especially enjoyed having Rob Galvin here from the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.